to know that about God, that he cannot reveal the time and seasons for everything that he wants to do in our lives. For and our sake, he For our mean. sake. Yeah. And, and for the sake of the accomplishing of whatever he wants to accomplish in our lives. Because most of the time, the thing, the little thing that he does reveal to you, you're not ready yet. Dreams need to be handled. Dreams need to yeah. be handled. They need to be managed. And we can't manage them. Only God can manage them. Hey, what's up, everybody? My name is Corey O'Neill, and I'm here with our lead pastor, Joe Source, and this is the Lift It Up podcast. This is a place where we add value to your life from the Word of God. You know, we love the scriptures here. We are a Bible church. We're a Word church, and we really believe that the Word of God really is the best place to add value to our lives. And so today, we are starting... Uh, I think we're going to have it be a two-part series on the life of Joseph Mm -hmm. from the Old Testament. Now, if you've been listening or watching for a while, you might might remember in an episode where we were on the topic of finances, and I made a comment that everybody loves to hear about a series or sermon on Joseph, and because everybody loves to hear a message about you know their dreams, um, but those dreams cost money. So we were doing an, an episode about finances to fund those dreams. Right. Well, now now we're talking about the dreams. Now, now, now we're on the really attractive uh, topic. And there's a cost. It's there's a cost. And there's a price to be yeah. paid. Yeah, and you know, and you know something? That price isn't just limited to finances. Absolutely, no, that's the easiest thing. Yeah, that's the easiest thing in the world. It's it's getting the strategy from God. Mm-hmm. It's getting the inspiration from God. Getting and knowing that what you're actually pursuing is God, uh, inspiring you to move forward. And so, um, what we're what we are trusting God for in this podcast is for us to see some strategies through Joseph's life of how did he get from this? And I don't know if many of our our listeners or people that are watching us have really ever thought about this. We've talked about it. What a dysfunctional family Mm -hmm. that Joseph came from. We read Joseph's life starting in Genesis chapter 37, but that's not where this behavior started. The behavior started probably back in Genesis 12, you know, with Abraham's life. And um, so we're going to see that. We're going to see what is it going to cost? What what things do we have to overcome sometimes from our family backgrounds to be able to not just pursue our dreams? A lot of people pursue dreams, but it's to manifest the results. It's to reach that goal. And it can never be a goal that we establish in our hearts. That has to always come from the outside. It's got to come from God himself. You know, we have this, you know, many of us want to quote that scripture, you know, he gives us the desires of our heart. Okay, but where did that desire originate from? How is that scripture really to be read? Is it that the desire that I have in my heart that uh, I I dreamt this and so now God's going to give it to me? Um, I prefer to see it the other way. He's the one who gives us the desires of our heart. He puts the desire in us. Many times those desires are very contrary to our natural uh, makeup our personalities and character. Yeah. You know, a lot it's of people a, can really twist that scripture around. And oh my I gosh, that's yeah. in Psalm 35 or Psalm 30-ish, somewhere in there. You can really twist that scripture yeah. around that God will give you the desire of your heart. Right, right. So we go for this crazy dream or we want to purchase something outrageous. Well, you know, this is a desire I've always had. You know, I got in a lot of trouble doing that, that same concept and idea many years ago. My dream had always been to raise my children at the beach. I love the beach. This is the whole reason why my wife and I moved here to this area 44 years ago. 
And uh, we just, my dream was, man, my kids are going to grow up at the beach. They're going to have sand in their toes on the time that they're born. And so I pursued that with a vengeance. And I believe that God eventually would have given me that desire because I do believe he placed that in me. So to get us to this area, because yeah. he knew that in the future, at that wow. point in time, new beginnings would have to exist. And it was supposed to be here in Brick, New Jersey, in Ocean County. But I pursued it with such a vengeance and pursued it so ruthlessly that it literally cost us everything we have because I made the wrong moves at the wrong times. So you're saying that people can, can fall into the trap of pursuing the dream instead of the one that, gov that gives the dream. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially when you, you know, I love when, when people say, and I would say it myself, I could think back being a young teenager wanting to move here to the shore from North Jersey, begging my father, please, let's move down the shore. Please, let's move down the shore. So that dream was in me from all that time. Now, yeah. I didn't realize it until 30 years later <laughs> that the reason that desire in my heart was to move to the Jersey shore was because of the a call that I would eventually walk in, my wife and I and our yeah. family. So uh, I did damage because I did not seek the desire giver, if we want to put it that way. Is yeah. that the right way to say it? Sure. Uh, the one yeah. who gives us our desire, the one who implants those desires in our heart. Um, I didn't seek him because I didn't know him then. I knew about him, but I didn't know him. But when the time came, but even the time came when I knew him, when I was born again, I already messed it up because I, I put it on my timetable and connived and mm. did everything like Jacob and Isaac and Abraham and connive things my way to get the results that I wanted to. And just like in their lives, it always blew up yeah. in their face. But you know what? God still redeemed it. He did. He did. <laughs> he redeemed it. I, yeah. I believe that with all my heart, that if you have the right heart, if you have a pure heart, yeah. even the mistakes you've made, God will turn around. Yeah. He yeah. really does. That's and I've good. seen that over and over again. That's good. Can, can I just share one thing? Because you talk about God gave you the desire to you know, want to live by the shore and, and this dream of living by the shore. Um, and then eventually it would birth, you know, pursuing the dream of starting this church. Right. Because, you know, I, I know a lot of people watching and listening, we all have dreams. Yes. We all have dreams that God gave us. And, you know, and we were talking about this before, even in the secular world, if you listen to any kind of motivational speaker or whatever, business Absolutely, seminar, yeah. you know, yeah. they'll talk about you have a dream and they might even drop the G word. Yeah. They might say you have a God-given dream. Yeah. They might even go as far as saying that your God-given dream is supposed to help others. Some of them might say that, but mm -hmm. you know they won't take it as, as a step farther. That your God-given dream, which is supposed to help others, and I would and I would complete that sentence with this: see the gospel. Yeah, your your God-given dream that is supposed to help others know and believe in the gospel. It's supposed to have some part in contributing to the furthering of the gospel. Without a doubt, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's the difference between accomplishing a dream of your own and accomplishing the dream that God has birthed inside you. And it's birth. It always yeah. starts with a seed. Uh, and then there's that conception stage. And then at that conception stage is when you're going to decide, okay, who's going who's gonna to bring this to pass? Yeah. Uh, you know, um, who's going to bring this full term? And it can't be us. It cannot no. be us. We'll mess it up. Yeah. So... Um, Let's talk about Joseph's family background, which is like a soap opera. Man, that, this would, that's a whole series in and of itself. It could, this could be a Netflix, like, six-season uh, series. Yeah, maybe of, when they're done with The Chosen, maybe they'll do a series on that. Maybe they'll that. do something like this because this goes back to Abraham and really, really goes back to Abraham's father, Terah. Yeah. 
Okay. We don't talk about him a lot. Nobody talks about him. Nobody wants to talk about him. It's like, all right. So it's obvious if you read the scriptures that God spoke to him first, to Terah first, because he's the one that takes the family, takes Abraham, takes Lot, takes everything, and goes from every the Chaldees, and they're starting to come through what we would call today like modern-day southern Turkey, northern Syria, uh, almost into Lebanon, and he stops at a place called Haran. Mm-hmm. And there they settle for a little while. And at some point, Abraham's father passes away. He dies at Haran. He doesn't fulfill. And that's so symbolic. So many people start their path to Mm -hmm. following God and they get distracted. They get hurt. They get disappointed. They're not willing to pay the price. And there's so many people not willing to pay the price. Uh, There's a cost to following God. I don't care what anybody says. There's a cost to following God. And if there's no cost there's no prize, there's no reward, okay? So, so many people get as far as Haran in their lives. They, they want to follow God. They want to, they want to complete the course. They want to run their course with joy, finish their course with joy, but then they get bogged down someplace in Haran. There's a Haran in everybody's life. That's good. You know what I'm saying? And, but, but now he's off the scene. Now it's Abraham's responsibility. And, you can tell that he must have held his dad in high esteem because he's ca- he's really carrying on his father's uh, commission. But now it's almost like Moses, my servant, is dead. Now God speaks to Joshua. Well, Terah, my servant, is dead. So God now focuses on Abraham and brings him. Now Abraham is willing to pay the price to go from Haran to Canaan land, to the promise we know is the promised yeah. land. But then... There's some difficulties there, and we see some character issues with Abram. Yeah. At that point, Abram, okay? Uh, there's a famine that breaks out in the land. He doesn't stick through it. He doesn't stay there and trust God. I don't think there's any indication that God told him to go to Egypt. It's like he went, which is famous saying in my life, whenever I've gotten really big trouble, it was always a result of me saying, but you don't understand, I have to do something. Mm-hmm. I can't just sit here. I've got to make something happen. You know, it's always been the disaster. Uh, I look back now and some of the worst decisions in my life were made preceding that yeah. statement. I got to do something. I think somebody needs to hear that. Or, or I, I'm sure. I, I, I honestly, I, I really believe that when, you're, when your posture is, I need to do this now, like frantic, I think that's the enemy. Oh my God, absolutely. And you know, that was kind of the strategy that the enemy was using with Jesus. Hey, you need bread. Turn hmm. these stones into bread. Or come on, throw yourself off. You got this promise that the angels are going to try, always try to get you to do something yeah. either before time or in your own strength. And so Abraham now is a famine. There's a famine. Now, I can understand. I know what it's like to have pressure on you that not only to have to take care of yourself, but to take care of family. I mean, when my wife and I went into bankruptcy, our children were little. They were little kids. They were elementary school age, at the most, young teenage. And there's that pressure like, hey, I got a family support. I've got to, I got to make money. I got to do something. And so I did odd jobs, put myself in places where, uh, look, what do you want me to do? Do I need to clean toilets? Do I need to, whatever I need to do. I did construction work, which I despised. I never liked construction work. <laughs> but I had, did what I had to do. I can understand Abram getting into that getting himself into that place of like, hey, 
These people came following me. I'm responsible for my wife. I'm responsible for my nephew. We know at one point he had 318 servants. I don't know if it was at that point in time, but at some point. So let's say he had half of those servants. Mm -hmm. Let's say he's got 150 servants. He's got 150 servants you got you to feed. Yeah. A, a wife. Um, you got a nephew that's followed you. you. And Lot had a wife, and we know he had children. So you can understand when you're in a position of pressure like that, you can make some stupid mistakes sometimes. Yeah. And so instead of staying in the land of promise, he decides, I'm going to go to Egypt, which is a type and shadow, a symbolic of the world. Yeah. And so many Christians do that. So many believers do that. Pressure comes. They don't sit and wait. They don't get direction from God. They don't, they don't walk according to Proverbs 3. In all their ways, acknowledge yeah. him and he'll direct your path. No, I have no, I mean, no patience whatsoever. But you don't understand, Pastor. I got to do something. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've heard that so many times. So what does he do? He turns to the world's answer, mm-hmm. and he goes to Egypt, and he's he's crafty. He thought it through because he knew Sarah, his wife. Okay, is like she's known to be the most beautiful woman at that time yeah. in their region. So he's like, they're going to knock me off. The Pharaoh's going to put me away, just eliminate me to get to my wife. So he <laughs> he conspires with her. You know the story. Yeah. Uh, tell him that you're my sister. And and he wasn't lying 100% because she was related to him. Okay? But so he prospers there in Egypt for a little while. And the Pharaoh thinks, so, okay, this is brother and sister. But then one day he sees them out in the garden, and they're not acting like normal brother and sister. And so uh, the Pharaoh calls him in and said, what, what, do you, what did you do to that? Which goes to show you at one time, the Pharaohs of Egypt had the fear of God. Yeah, they had some reverence. They had some reverence for God, yeah. you know? He said, what have you done to me? And, and, and then God says to Abram, pray, for the, pray for, the, for the Pharaoh and his family. And it's like, so, so we see this, what's the word, propensity? Like a leaning towards being a con artist. Yeah. Okay. So, so then Abraham, you know, they leave, they leave Egypt, they go back to Canaan, and um, God speaks about having a child, which we know eventually is going to be Isaac, but at that point in time, she's not conceiving. And so she comes up with the idea, because now she's learned from her husband, I got to do something. We need a son. Yeah. And God's not letting this happen, so we got to do something. Yeah. So they take matters into their own hands. You want, you, you yeah. know the story. Well, you know, I, I think at a certain point, I was thinking about this as you're talking about Abram's little detour in, uh, in Egypt. I think at a certain point, we got to realize that the things that God is calling us to do is not nearly as important as the character building that he wants to produce in us. I think somebody needs to hear that. Yeah, definitely. I need. I I needed to learn that. He's more concerned with what we become than what we accomplish. Yeah, and that's really important in ministry. Really important in ministry. He's so much more concerned. And we had that example. You've heard me teach this over the years. David, King David, with all his heart, wanted to build a temple, mm-hmm. but God said to him, "I, I can't. You, you've shed too much blood in your lifetime. In other words, your reputation is shot. Yeah. If I let you build this temple." the entire region is going to associate that temple with your warfare, with the bloodshedding. With talk about a dysfunctional family. We should talk about David's family sometime in the future. You talk about dysfunction. Oh my God. So so why, why couldn't why didn't God just wink at the whole thing and say to David, okay, 
you know, you, you, you have captured Jerusalem. Well, at that time it was called Jebus. He got, he got the pagan tribe out of there so that they could settle into the, what we call today Mount Zion in Jerusalem. He could have let him build a temple. He is, he, the Bible tells us he amassed vast quantities beyond weight and beyond measure of supplies. But he said, but you're not going to build it. Your son's going to build it. Yeah. Why? Why? Because he was more concerned with what David was becoming than what David would accomplish. And I believe it was the same thing with Abraham. Yeah. He was more concerned with Abraham developing the personality, developing the character, developing the witness. Abraham's supposed to be the witness of God to all these pagan tribes and everybody they dealt with. And so he was very concerned about what Abraham was becoming uh, more than what he would accomplish. So, so Abraham, they take matters into their own hands. His wife gives her headmaid, her servant, to Abram, which was really, she wasn't doing anything, well, we might consider it immoral, but for the culture of that time, it was, it was a known thing. It, it was, was a thing. Yeah. If, if, if the woman couldn't conceive, then they would take the servant, and the servant would be like a proxy yeah. mother. The only problem is God never told him to take that direction. God never told him to do that. Sarah had no, important, had no idea how important she was to the plan of God. But she had to do something. Yeah. She had to do something. She had to make something happen. She didn't know that, that the, the deadness of her body was the very thing that God was going to use. Right, because you can't have a resurrection without a death. That's it. Something's got to die in order to get resurrected. Yeah. So, um, so Ishmael is born. And God took care of Ishmael, but Ishmael wasn't God's best. Right. And this can get kind of touchy here because an entire nation of people came out of Ishmael. Yeah. Um, and Ishmael develops as he's growing up. As he, he's a, a teenager when Isaac comes on the scene. And so you automatically know that there's going to be friction between Ishmael and Isaac. Yeah. And then at some point, God even gives a release to Abraham and to Sarah to say, get her out of here. Okay, her child, I'm going to take care of him. Uh, princes are going to come from him. And you look at all the... Arabian tribes and all that stuff, yeah. all the Arabic nation comes from Ishmael. Okay, so I'm going to take care of him, which goes back to that thing where God will rescue us even out of the mistakes that we make ourselves. Amen. Even those, those horrible situations that we get ourselves yeah. in, he not only forgives us, but he rescues us yeah. from those situations. I think somebody needs to hear that. Yeah, yeah, because there's so many people carrying the guilt and condemnation. I carried guilt and condemnation around for years over the mistakes that I made over a piece of real estate that we purchased and we lived at, at the shore. Okay, it was a disaster. And so for probably five to eight years, I carried around guilt and condemnation that by, by one mistake, I pretty much destroyed our financial stability and our family. God redeemed it. He, he totally turned the situation around for us yeah. and did the same thing for Abraham. But we're dealing with Ishmael today. Yeah. The Jews in Israel, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are dealing with the results and the consequences of Abraham's decision yeah. to go and conceive with this Egyptian woman, Hagar, yeah. and bring forth Ishmael. So now let's go, let's go forward. So you got, now Isaac comes on the scene. Okay, finally Isaac shows up. Okay. And Isaac uh, is a prince. He's 
he's the one that's going to carry on daddy's commission and stuff. And then um, he ends up doing similar things. If you study his life, we don't want to get into all the details now. But he ends up, instead of going to Egypt, he goes to the Philistines and pretty much does the same thing instead of standing firm. But then he learns his lessons in the future, though. He does learn his lessons. And um, God sends his servant to go get a wife for him. And out of that union, out of that, that union, Isaac and uh, Rebecca. Rebecca, yeah. Isaac and Rebecca. Um, comes Esau and Jacob. Yeah. Now we've got, I mean, the multiplied dysfunction from two generations now you see in Jacob's family. Esau has got one personality. Jacob's got a completely different personality. Jacob is the one that you'd find home making chocolate chip cookies. Esau, <laughs> that's how I always describe it, because what does he do? What does he use to trick his father? He makes soup. Yeah. He makes a stew. Well, Jacob had a Pinterest. Ja- yeah, Jacob had. He did. He did. He had a Pinterest. I don't know how far it went, but it, yeah, it was. He, he was that type of person, like, you know. Um, but Esau is like, he's hanging out at like the, uh, what is it, at, that the gym. The, the gym. He's hanging out at the gym. Uh, when he's, he's not he's at, at short shot a few minutes away from here. He's at the shooting range. He's at the shooting range. <laughs> he's out in his boat. He's hunting. He's fishing. He doesn't care what his hair looks like. Jacob's like Mr. GQ. Yeah. Esau's like, he probably smelled all the time. And we know he did because his father said, Where? I don't smell right, the yeah. scent of my son Esau. Yeah. When he tried to head, literally, his mom. Rebecca had to rub Jacob down with all kinds of animal grease to make him smell like yeah. his brother. So <laughs> this isn't somebody who's like really, um, their personality is so different. But the, the disastrous mistake that was made is that um, the mom sets one brother against the other. She conspires with Jacob to trick the father because at this point Isaac is, is blind yeah. He's, he can't see and when you can't see you develop all your other senses but his sense of smell was amazing and so it's coming time in his life and he recognizes it's time for him to give his blessing to the firstborn he saw so gonna, right. and so there's a particular blessing reserved for that you know how it is you know how it works and so the mom wants Jacob to receive the blessing, yeah. to receive the inheritance. And she conspires, and man, what a, what a conspiracy they put together. And Jacob is in on it. Yeah. And just the spirit of rebellion all over his family. Rebellion, conniving, yeah. just like, trust God. What are you doing? Obviously, these are, these are the patriarchs of Israel. Yeah. And Jacob, by this point, should have known to trust God. I mean, he's been through so much in his life, you know, uh, and what he went through to get his wives, you know, um, the suffering that he went through. His his father-in-law is a, is a bigger conniver than him. So you got mm-hmm. when you got a conniver, another conniver, forget it. They're going to teach each other how to <laughs> how to beat each other out of something, you know. Yeah. So put all that aside. So now we come to this um, this conspiracy, and Isaac is tricked into giving the blessing of the firstborn to Jacob instead of Esau, and it causes a tremendous tremendous upheaval in the family to the yeah. point where Jacob's got to take off and leave. And she gets him to, hey, go back to where 
go back to the old country, go back to where we came from, my, go see my brother. And Jacob goes to, uh, back to Mesopotamia, what we would call today modern day Mesopotamia, yeah. and stays there for decades. And meanwhile, Esau just is fuming and just wants to kill him. And, and, and there's just so much dysfunction in that family. So it's no surprise by the time we come to Genesis 37, which now we want to start talking now about Genesis. Genesis. Yeah. There's no surprise. If you read just 37, you go, oh, my God, what, who are these people? How could they treat their brother like this? Well, this is trained behavior. Yeah. We've seen this in families. Everybody watching or listening could think of somebody in their family. Uh, in the, maybe a grandfather, an uncle, or parents, or somebody that acted a specific way, lived a certain way, just was completely dysfunctional. There's no other word to use but dysfunctional. And then you see the next generation, they just do it because they think this is normal. So what they were seeing, because yeah. most of these are, most of these children of Jacob, they were little when all this stuff was going on. Yeah. They were around. But they weren't. They weren't men. They were little when all the conniving and all the trickery and all the deceit and well, all they the, learned at an early they age. They learned at an yeah. early age. They're like this is like normal. This is how our family rolls. Yeah. You know? I, I think this goes back to, and we talked about this before. One of the earliest principles that was established, that we see established in the Word of God is every seed reproduces after its own kind. Absolutely. It's and not just talking about agriculture. No, absolutely not. It's most obvious in agriculture, but you see it. You see it. Unless somebody disturbs a cycle, unless somebody steps in and goes, hey, if my life has to be sacrificed so that this, this cycle, of this, this heritage doesn't carry on to the next generation, somebody's got to step in and do that. Yeah. And, and I know God has used people to break cycles in their families. Definitely. God has used me to break cycles in my family. Uh, God has used my wife to break a cycle in her family. Mm -hmm. um, that's just the kind of God that we have. It's Where, always about redemption. Yeah, and and I think a lot of people are under the the a lot of people are under the assumption that because of my background, because of the dysfunction in my family, God really can't use me. For yeah, much. I'm marked. Yeah. yeah. There, there's so much deception in that. Absolutely. The yeah. enemy has tricked so many people into thinking that they're limited by their past whether it's their mistakes or just how they, they're up they're upbringing. Or, or them being victimized by somebody else's decisions. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big trick of the enemy. You hear people saying, well, you know, my family's never been like this. That has nothing to do with it. Yeah. Or, you know, we see it in, in, in the addiction cycles. You know, um, you go back two or three generations, you see it. Um, even in some families, there's suicide that runs from generation to generation. And if you're not careful, and I don't mean careful, like be weighed down by it. I mean, if you're not alert, if you're not aware, and you're just living life just the way every other generation lived, you're going to produce the same stuff. Yeah. That's what's so cool about us being born again and still being left on the earth. Because we can be those people that break the cycles yeah. and break that generational. I don't like to use the word generational curse because it's more trained behavior. Um, you see certain sicknesses running in families. Well, yeah, well, if everybody yeah. ate the same way and lived the same way and abused their bodies the same way, you're going to see the same yeah. diseases go from generation to generation. Well, that's one thing I always hear a lot about. Well, you know, your great-grandfather had a, had heart disease, so you need to be careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're limiting God. Limiting God and limiting ourselves.
not to be able to fulfill the plan that God has for us. There's, there's a cost. There's an awareness that has to be developed. There is a walking in such a way that you're very much aware of things in your own life and things in your background. Not to be bound to that, but just be aware of it. Mm -hmm. Just be aware of it. So we see all of this stuff snowball. Yeah. And it's like it, bam, it hits in Joseph's generation. And now we're talking about Abraham's great-grandchildren. Yeah. Okay? Um, this deceit, this jealousy, the envy, the hatred, uh, the outright vi violence. So in, in chapter 37 yeah. is where we pick up in Joseph's life. Now Jacob dwelt dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. Pretty much just telling us Jacob now is in the promised land. And this is the history of Jacob. Joseph, which I don't know why it says that because they don't tell us the history of Jacob. It says this is the history of Jacob. And then it goes into Joseph's life. <laughs> it's almost assumed that we know what they're talking about because everything we just talked about from Genesis chapter 12 up until Genesis 37 yeah. here is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Is it referring to Genesis 36? Because Genesis 36 seems like a big long genealogy. Yeah. Genealogy, stuff. yeah. Yeah. So so you, you wouldn't think that this is the history of Jacob, but it went in chapter 36. <laughs> but whatever. Yeah. Not so <laughs> being 17 years old, uh, Joseph being 17, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. So we know now here we got, <laughs> we've got a multiple, yeah. multiple, a blended family, mm -hmm. put it this way. Okay, you got Jacob has been married to this, this person named Bilhah and Zilpah, okay? And they produced children. And Joseph brought a bad report to them, to his father. To who? To the sons of these women, okay, who don't like him anyway because Joseph did not come from them. Yeah. Joseph came from Rachel, who their father loved. Yeah. Okay? So, verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made a tunic of many colors. Let's not get to that part yet. Let's go back to verse 2, the very end of verse 2. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. What are you doing, Joseph? Are you spying on your brothers? Now, it's a very good possibility that this wasn't his thought. Because later on in the chapter, we're going to see that Jacob says to Joseph, yeah. I'm going to send you to go check on your brothers, which is a disastrous mistake that a parent can make. You don't pit one child against the others. Mm -hmm. So he's set this whole... We, you, look, thank God Jacob is in heaven. <laughs> thank God he experienced a tremendous change in his life at some point. But he's made mistakes here. Yeah, He almost set Joseph up to be abused, betrayed, sold out by his own brothers. You can't put a younger kid in a position of spying on their older brothers, especially when you're not from the same mother to begin with. Right. I mean, come on, what are you thinking? So it says, now Israel. See, that's the change. 
He went from Jacob to Israel. Mm -hmm. Okay, we know the whole story. Yeah, we know Jacob and Israel are the same person. Same person. But Jacob, which means conniver and trickster, had an encounter with God, and God changed his name to Prince of Prince of God, yeah. Israel, okay? So now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and also he made a tunic of many colors. He clothed Joseph in such a way that anyone who would have come by would have said, oh, that's the future leader of the family. Yeah. That's the special one. That's the apple of his daddy's eye. Hmm. That's the one that everybody else is going to submit to. So we see all of this stuff being set up here. So it's no wonder that it turned out the way it did. Verse 4, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. Now, is it Joseph's fault that his father treated him this way? Absolutely not. It's not Joseph's fault. Yeah. His father treated him this way. And it must have been very obvious to everyone else that this is, this is daddy's little boy. This is mm-hmm. the preferential. This is the one who's getting the preferential yeah. treatment. And they hated him and could not speak peaceably. They couldn't even be civil with him. They hated him so much. Yeah. Okay? Well, when you come from a background where your father and your uncle, your uncle was connived out of his inheritance because your father was a trickster (laughs) and had to leave the country, it's no wonder that the sons now are acting the same way. Now, Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. Now, Joseph, Joseph was sitting here and saying to him, Joseph, what what, what were you you thinking? (laughs) You know these people don't like you already. You know, and he's probably like, hey, I'm daddy's favorite, and probably rubbed it into his brother's look. So now, what do you go tell them a dream? <laughs> You're setting yourself up for disaster yeah. here, all right? And now Joseph had a dream and told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream, which I have dreamed. There were, bind- they were, there were binding sheaves in the field. He's saying, there we were, binding sheaves. So he's including them in the dream. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaf stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. What are you telling them? They hate you already. What are you saying this for? And his brother said to him, shall, we, shall you indeed reign over us? Yeah, eventually that's exactly what's going to happen. Or, or shall you intend to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. You got to know when to talk and when to keep your mouth shut. Now, do we know that this dream came from God? Yeah, because eventually it comes to pass. You know, we talked about this earlier today, and I'm not going to present this as a doctrine. I'm just going to present it as a thought. Is it possible that even Joseph misinterpreted this dream? Because we know there comes a point when Joseph, I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves here and probably won't cover this until part two. But there's a time when Joseph becomes a second in command to Pharaoh. Now, this is the largest, most powerful empire that existed up until that time. Now, the, the main job that Joseph was given as second in command to Pharaoh was to gather and collect all the grain in the land so that they would have provision when the famine came, okay? So what's he, what's he saying? They're in the field, they're binding sheaves. Well, where does grain come from? From these sheaves of wheat, okay? And his brother said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Then verse 9 goes, and then he dreamed still another dream, 
and tell it to his brothers. And he said, look, I have, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed to me. So he told it to his father. <laughs> it wasn't bad enough, he told his brothers. And his brothers and his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him. Now, now it went from hatred. Now it went from not even being able to speak civilly to him. They envied him. But his father kept the matter yeah. in mind. He held on to it. He's like, I'm not happy about this, but you know what? There might be something to this. We're talking about strategies to reach a goal. Yeah. And sometimes you can't say everything that's on your heart. And there's times when, when, when God will say, keep your mouth shut. Yeah. This is, this is between me and you up until the point that I tell you. Okay. One of the most obvious, the disciples before Jesus ascends into heaven said, this is this the time you're going to establish the kingdom of Israel. Okay, the kingdom, are you gonna, is this the time you're gonna establish the kingdom of God on the earth? Yeah. And what did he say? It's not, not for, not, it's not not for you to know the times time. and the seasons. Yeah. Not even this, neither did the angels know the son of man, only my father in heaven knows. I Dude. think people need to know that about God, that he cannot reveal the time and seasons for everything that he wants to do in our lives. Wouldn't that be great? For our sake, he for our sake, yeah, and and for the sake of the accomplishing of whatever he wants to accomplish in our lives, for yeah. the sake of the people that are going to be impacted by whatever he's going to do in your life. Because most of the time, the thing, the little thing that he does reveal to you, you're not ready yet. Yeah, you're not and ready. Dreams need to be handled. Dreams need to yeah. be handled. They need to be managed, and we can't manage them. Only God yeah. can manage them. Yeah, and we we were talking about this before, and it's an interesting thing that I never thought about recently. Um, little, little tuition-free uh, lesson from Bible school. <laughs> um, in our in our class about foundations of prayer, one of the classes was on the topic of silent prayer, and and really what it's talking about is is just our thoughts, and sometimes the things that God reveals to us, the things that are on our heart, they're not meant to be spoken out loud yet. Yet, and and we learn an aspect. About the devil um, in contrast to God is that the devil is not all-knowing the devil mm. cannot read your thoughts no he can hear the words that you say right but he cannot read our thoughts God can hear what we say and know what we're thinking right and so do you think that a lot of times when we do blurt out some of the things that God is showing us um, then it's like we're given the, the an opportunity for the enemy to finally strike while we're still in 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 um in a season of not being mature enough unpreparedness unprepared i think that's the main argument for the importance of the baptism of the holy spirit mm. because paul tells us in the writings to the corinthians he who speaks an unknown tongue speaks to god not to man mm. And then it goes on to say, and he speaks divine mysteries. If you look it up in the original language, right? Yeah. That's why the devil hates. That's why there's so much controversy about being able to pray in an unknown language, unknown, yeah. you know, speaking in other tongues, because it's the language of the, of the spirit between you and God. Yeah, he can't decipher that. He can't decipher that. Even 
most of the time we don't even know what we're, yeah. but we know we have a satisfaction on the inside. We know that our spirit is speaking things out through us, through our physical, our, our voice box, our yeah. ability to speak. And so there's so much controversy and, and denominational splits throughout the centuries over these kind of things. But what, what is he after? He's after, what, what did Paul say? You, you pray out when you're praying in tongues, when you're praying in that spirit language, you are praying divine, divine mysteries. Mysterion is the actual word in Greek. Mm. Okay. What is that? Our dreams are yeah. in those divine secret mysteries. Yeah. And the enemy is always after the dream. We're going to see that as we continue to read here. Yeah. The enemy's not after you. The enemy's not after me. We don't mean anything to him. It's the dream. It's the goal. Mm -hmm. It's the plan of God. And so it's so vitally important. I pray that every individual that's listening to this and watching this, if they have not yet experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, with the evidence, the primary evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the ability to speak in other tongues. Mm -hmm. It's that language that you receive when you receive that baptism. That is so vitally important. You, I don't see how a person can really pray effectively without praying in the Spirit at some point in time. Yeah. There are times when we're praying in the Spirit and, and the Lord might reveal to us a scripture that we're actually, and we need to pray out. And so we pray those things out in our natural language. And Paul said, I will pray with my understanding, but I will pray in the Spirit also. Yeah. And he goes on to even say, I will sing with the understanding, and I will sing in the Spirit also. Just making praises unto God. So vitally important. So vitally important. See, because when you have that gift and you can pray things out, it's like you're you're getting rid of the frustration on the inside because you know you got to pray something yeah. out. And so, but when you can't pray it out in English, in our natural language, whatever that language is, there's a frustration on the inside. But when you pray in the spirit, your spirit now is being satisfied. Yeah. Your soul even there's, picks there's up on peace. that. There's yeah. a peace that comes. You know, man, I got this. I accomplished this. I got yeah. this. Even sometimes your whole countenance can change in the middle of a, most, you know, most of the time an intercessory prayer when you're praying, you get to a point like, wow, we got this. We got this. We, we accomplished it. And so you can understand Joseph's frustration possibly. He's excited. He knows on the inside, God's, wow, God's going to do something in my life. Yeah. I'm not just here to be another shepherd. I'm not just here. Not that being yeah. a shepherd was bad. David was a shepherd, but he knows, yeah. wow, there's something in the future. Hey, you know what? Speaking of shepherds, because <laughs> I read this ju just before we started recording, I was taking a look at this and I saw this for the first time in verse two, right? Because we immediately associate Joseph with the dream and the jacket and, and all that stuff. The yeah. very first thing that we see about Joseph is that he was young and he was pasturing the flock. So he, he shepherd, yeah, he's feeding he the flock had, with his brothers. He's together with his brothers. Yeah, God gives dreams to people that are doing something. Absolutely, absolutely. He didn't sit on the side and say, "Well, someday God's going to use me really great in a really powerful way." So, but in the meantime, I'm not. I can't get involved with you, you guys. Sheep smell. I don't want to step in all their poop. Uh, you guys do this because God's got bigger things for me. Yeah, that's an arrogant, haughty prideful mm -hmm. that person will never accomplish anything yeah. because god resists the proud i would even say i would even go as far as saying this if if you believe that you have a dream that is from god but if you're not doing anything to serve if you're not doing anything that that's bigger than yourself i would question whether or not that was really a god-given dream i 100 agree and i've seen it believe me in 37 years of being a christian 24 years of pastoring i have seen it over and over mm -hmm. and over again well, you could tell. Um, well, you know, 
every once in a while we take a trip back to to, to Tulsa to our, where we were, where we went to Bible school, and I'll still after all these years and I graduated from Bible school in 1997. Ninety-seven, we graduated in May. We started the church in September. We've been back over the years, all these these almost two and a half decades now, and I'll still see people that we went to school with that we graduated. They're still sitting in pews, waiting for direction from God. Hmm. Just sitting there, not doing anything, not serving anywhere, just sitting, have a secular job, sit in churches, waiting for some divine lightning bolt that's going to come out of heaven. They'll be there 50 years from now if they live that long. God's a little bit more practical than we make them out to be. Extremely practical. Extremely practical. To the point of some of the stuff that we have spiritualized, in, even in the scriptures, we're extremely practical. You know, you talk about the, uh, this is a little bit off topic, but we're talking about the practicality of God. Um, you, you see where the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Why, why those seven churches? I've thought about that. Why those seven churches? Well, because if you research it, and I got this from, from Rick Renner's research, those seven churches were all on one road. Hmm. What did Jesus say? Take this, go read it. These things have to be read. Take this, this church, the church of Ephesus, church of Phil, yeah. uh, all these Pergamum, all the, they were all on one major highway. So when yeah. you made that circuit and you started at one and you went around, you went right back up to the first church again so that information could be spread. Yeah. You talk about practical. <laughs> wow. Practical. So, uh, Joseph received his training for the future, feeding the flock with his brothers. Now, if he would have learned how to keep his mouth shut and hold on to the things that God, God showed him. Now, I went through this personally. You may have heard me share this from time to time. Uh, when the Lord first spoke to me about New Beginnings, gave me the name of the church and everything, told me when it would start, showed me people that would be part of the church originally. It was in the spring of 1994. I didn't go to Bible school till the next year. The church didn't start until 97. So, but when I first got a hold of this, I'll never forget the morning I woke up and the Lord had spoken to me during the night uh, in a dream and in a vision. And I woke up and I woke my wife up and I said, oh my God, we're going to Bible school and we're going to start a church. And she's like, what are you talking about? I said, God just showed this to me. He said, I was extremely excited. Extremely excited because I realized I had fought the call for probably 11 years before that. But um, when the excitement hit me, I was like, oh, my God. But I knew. Keep your mouth <laughs> shut. Okay. God didn't give me the name Joseph for no reason at all. <laughs> I feel like I had, I had to learn from his mistake. Yeah. Keep your mouth. There was only less than a handful of people who knew what our plan was. Even when we left New Jersey to go to Tulsa, yeah. there was maybe four to five individuals that knew you're going here to graduate and you're coming back to start a church. I didn't go blab all over the place. First of all, what if it wasn't God? What if I, what if it was something that I dreamed up myself? Talk about practical, keep your mouth shut yeah. until the time comes. And let me tell you something, even if you're behind the times, God will broadcast it for you. Uh, God will broadcast it for you. While I was in Bible school, there were people back here in New Jersey that God was showing, and they prophesied this church, yeah. spoke the name of the church and everything at a wow. time to the individuals who needed to know, not wow. to everyone. 
I've seen other people. I could think of an individual right now that I'm thinking about from many, many years ago who sat down with me at, the, at breakfast and, and told me straight out, yeah, God told me I'm going to pastor a church and uh, all this other stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, that doesn't bear witness at all with me. Not that I'm not God, but, you know, sometimes things should bear sure, witness yeah. with your spirit. And I was like, it never came to pass. Never came to pass. So I was really excited. So that's why I'm saying the whole reason I'm saying about this is I can understand how Joseph fell into this. He's excited. He's like, out of all the brothers, he's the second to the last. The the two youngest is Joseph and then his brother, Benjamin, who both came from the same mother. So now they've got all these, and we know the other ones had very strong personalities. So here he is among the youngest of 12 brothers, okay, overwhelmed by everybody else. His older brothers are older. They probably have children close to yeah. his age. So you get lost in the crowd. So, so now here you are, and he's probably thinking, at some point he may have entertained the thought, I'm going to be just like my brothers. I'm going to be the rest of my life just feeding sheep. And maybe, maybe he was dissatisfied with that. But you know, sometimes even those dissatisfactions, God puts in you. Mm-hmm. Think about Saul. Saul. Saul's the big shot in Jerusalem. He's hunting down all these heretics. There had to be a frustration on the inside of him. There had to be this thing of like this itch on the inside going, yeah, I'm a big shot in Jerusalem, and I I got all the priests on my side. I got the Sanhedrin. The Supreme Court of Israel is on my side, giving me papers to go to Damascus. But something's not right here. Well, Jesus did tell him when he met him on the road to Damascus, why are you kicking against the goats? Exactly. In other words, why are you fighting against... Why are you fighting that thing that you're frustrated over? It's me. I'm the one that's itching you on the inside. Yeah. You got all this knowledge, but you don't know me. You have all this zeal, but you don't know me. You're fighting against the very one that you're seeking to find. That that divine dissatisfaction. And and I, I know for my part, that was what God used for me to, to honestly, finally say, whatever you want to do, I'll do. I'll do. Man, what does it take for people to get there? To get where? To become frustrated or to get to that point? To throw your hands up like you just did and say, you know what, God, I don't know, whatever you want to do. Divine (laughs) frustration. Divine frustration. Okay? Um, Think about the people of Israel when they're coming out of Egypt. They were in Egypt how long? 400 and some years. 400 years. Some say 400, some say 430. Yeah. Okay? Do you think it was only that last generation that finally got disgusted enough to start praying? What did God say? I have heard the cry of my people. I have come down to rescue them. Yeah. But they were there 400 years. All right, so let's say for the first 200 years, they had it good. Everything was okay. They still had favor with the pharaohs, which I don't think it was that long. It was probably, yeah. probably only the first 100 years. Now there's 300 years of people being mistreated, treated like garbage, enslaved, can't even live amongst the rest of the nation. They got to go live in a different part of the yeah. country. Okay, you don't think any of them were frustrated? Hmm. But maybe they never cried out to God. Yeah. You finally come to that point where the divine dissatisfaction was so bad. And God will turn the heat up. God will let the world turn the heat up. Yeah. So that you become so dissatisfied that you, what do you do? You look up to God, you throw your hands up and go, I can't do this anymore. What do you want me to do? Yeah, I think what stops us is that we, deep down we would admit it, but we feel kind of stupid crying out to God. We feel like maybe that won't even work, so why bother? 
Yeah, I guess. I guess. Some people might feel that way. Some people could feel that way. Some people maybe don't even realize that they need to cry out to God because they think they're going to do everything on their own. Yeah. Especially the bigger the dream, the more you think you're going to play a part of it. Mm -hmm. Now, could I ever, and you hear me say this all the time, I stand back in awe of what God's done here in 24 years. I had no clue this was going to happen. Yeah. I came out of a church that was just a few hundred people. Mm -hmm. I didn't even have a reference point. And when I got to Bible school, of course, it was a much bigger uh, organization, much bigger operation, if you put it that way. But to foresee from that point when I said, I'm ready for whatever you want to do because I can't live like this. I'm so, I was at the point in November of 1994. I'll never forget this conversation. I'm sure my wife, if she was here, she would remember it. I sent to, went to my wife and said, I can't live like this, Barb. I'm so dissatisfied. I'm telling you, something within the next six months, something has to change. Within the next six months, I'm either going to backslide and go back into a horrible lifestyle, or I'm going to commit suicide, or I got to go to Bible school and fulfill what God's called me to do. I can't live like this anymore. And I went to somebody who I considered my spiritual mother and, and submitted that. I said, I can't live like this anymore. I just can't pray for me. I'm so disgusted. I'm so dissatisfied. I'm so unfulfilled. But it wasn't me that was unfulfilled. Yeah. It was the dream that was going unfulfilled. And so God knows when the timing is. And so he'll let the dissatisfaction build up and build up and build. That doesn't take God by surprise. So it comes right to the point where, bam. And who knows if he might have to come to that point and say, is this what I'm going to live like the rest of my life? Am I going to be like 40-something years old like my older brother Judah yeah. and still feeding these flocks? When you, had, you see, when you have a divine sense of destiny on the inside, let me word it this way. When you have a sense of divine destiny on the inside, you're not satisfied. Now, you know my story for the most part. By the time I was 27 years old, I had properties. I had a business that was making a ton of money for that time. I had nice cars. I went to Atlantic City with at least $1,000 in my pocket. I wouldn't even take the ride down there if I didn't have that much money. In, in, the, in the sense of worldly success, I should have been the happiest person in the world. I was the most miserable, depressed. Why? Nothing meant anything to me because inside, I didn't know it yet because I wasn't born yet, but God was allowing this divine dissatisfaction to build and build and build to the point where, again, I was ready to take my life or something has to change. Yeah. And that chain of events led to me becoming born again. And then years later, walking in, again, becoming divinely dissatisfied. And when I first got saved, you know, remember, my wife didn't get born again for a year and a half later. She watched me for 18 months. But I would say stuff to her like, Barb, I don't know how to explain this, but there's a call in my life. She, what do you mean by that? I don't. I said, I don't know. I, I don't know. But I, I know that I'm not meant to just sit in a pew someplace. Yeah. I know that. And it wasn't. I was trying to make myself bigger than what it was, because the thought scared me to death. Of what do you mean? I'm, I know what it's like to go to church. I know what it's like to lift my hands. I can't even pray in tongues. Um, I know what it's like to serve in different departments of the church. But to go to the next step took another season of divine dissatisfaction. Yeah. And I know we're talking to somebody now. Yeah. There's somebody who's been in, in, a, in, in the most dangerous place to be is a comfort zone. 
And I've seen people, and I've seen even in my own life, and even some people around me, that they have insulated themselves against that dissatisfaction. They'll keep bringing stuff from the world in. They'll keep bringing self in. They'll, they become self-promoted. They become self-exalting um, only because you don't want to really face, what does God really have for me? Yeah. And, oh, my God, I pray this divine dissatisfaction over every individual that is complacent right now, over every individual that has stumbled into and found themselves in a comfort zone, and it's so comfortable. It's like a baby in the womb, so comfortable. You yeah. don't want anything to disturb this. Don't disturb me. But that individual will never have the satisfaction of knowing, wow, I could get to the point where I could lay my life down so that God could pick it up and make something out of it. Yeah. You know, you talked about how you had no idea where God was going to take you years ago. You, you had no idea that any of this. I had no idea the magnitude going. of what he was yeah. going to have us involved in. And I think we could say the same about Joseph. Yeah. Joseph, from his point of view, really all he knew, he had the, this idea that his family was going to bow down to him. That's the only thing that was on his mind. He had no idea that later on God was going to take him on a wild ride, take him to the palace. Pharaoh's I, palace. I think if he did, he would have kept his mouth shut. That's a good, that's a good point. He would have kept his He had no idea. I agree with you. I had no idea where this was going to lead. No idea that he would eventually become the second in command over the most powerful empire of that time. How could he? Yeah. So I, I was just say... relating to. He's just relating to his divine dissatisfaction and the glimpses. God gives glimpses. Don't let anybody tell you, yeah. oh, yeah, the Lord told me this. No, you're, you're full of baloney. <laughs> God never does that. He never throws the whole picture down. It's progressive. He gives you glimpses. It's progress. This whole book is progressive revelation yeah. from the beginning to the end. It's progressive. Yeah. It's building upon that which took place before. It's glimpses. But if you're not satisfied with the glimpses, you're going to try to make something happen that may lead you down the path where it's not God. Hmm. I would say we got to stop trying to figure out our dreams. And the best way to do that is to have intimacy with the Holy Spirit yeah. and to be open and not insist on your own way. And that's a tough one. It's a tough one. Dying yeah. to self is probably the toughest thing for every one of us as Christians. Yeah. But you don't, you, you know, we talked about this, I think, earlier, uh, even in the recording. You can't have a resurrection without a death. That's true. Something's got to die. Yeah. And, and you, know, you know, it just jumped out at me. The first verse in chapter 37, verse 1, says that Jacob lived in the land where his father lived as a stranger. In the land. So they're still strangers. We're strangers in this land. We're passing through. So I think what gets us tripped up a lot of times is that we we, we don't see our lives in, in, from the perspective of eternity. Absolutely. Really, which is to say we don't see our lives in, from the perspective of God. Let me tell you, that's a hot God. topic right now in the Spirit of God. Seeing life through the eyes of eternity. We try to pack all our expectations, all our faith, all our accomplishments into this 80, 90, 100 years. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're faithful with God has given you now, Say you only live long enough to do what Joseph's doing here in 37, which is pasturing flock. Say you only live long enough to, to do that. And it, but if you do it faithfully, 
your eternity is going to be amazing. It, it carries on into eternity. It affects eternity. Yeah. Because we spend eternity with him based on our faith on, in Christ. Yeah, but, no, yeah okay. but it affects the generations that are still on the earth. Yeah. The nation of Israel was affected by Joseph's life. You brought this up before. Because of Joseph, the nation of Israel was eventually preserved when there was a really bad famine. Yeah. Okay? They, Jacob and all his family comes down. Seventy people come into Egypt. And 430 years later, Bible commentators say anywhere from two to two and a half to three million people from that original 70 walked out of Egypt. But they walked out. They took everything with them. Mm -hmm. They were compensated. Yeah. Divinely instructed by God. They left there and plundered Egypt before they left. But it was because of this one man. Yeah. And out of the nation of Israel comes Jesus. Yep. See, that, that, that's, that's what separates this from any, any kind of like secular kind of motivational thing about your dreams. Absolutely. Because, and like I said before, they'll say God gave, you know, I've God-given dreams. They might even admit, yeah, your God-given dreams are supposed to help people. But we take it a step further and say that your God-given dreams that are supposed to help people and further the gospel. You're, I, you're I, supposed to play I, a part in that. I think you just stumbled upon a measuring tool to whether a dream that we may be carrying is it really from God. Mm -hmm. Based on what you just said and based on what we've been studying and what we've been talking about here, I would say that if a dream does not contain within it the ability to affect future generations, it's not God. It's not because yeah. God most of the time can never fulfill the plan that he has in one person's life. He called Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jesus comes on the scene, he calls 12. Mm -hmm. Okay, those 12 then were to affect generations for down to this day were affected by those men's lives and what Jesus did. For a dream to be truly of God, it has got to have within it the ability to affect generations in the future. I think this is a good place to stop right now. Yeah. And we'll pick up the next time. Amen. Wow, so, that just hit me profoundly. Because people always say, I don't know if this is of God. I don't know if this is, well, well, what is it? What are you doing? Is it just going to satisfy you? Is it just going to meet your immediate needs? Yeah. No, it's got to affect generations in the future. Yeah. So you're, so you're thinking there really needs to be a, sometimes there's got to be a reworking of our heart. A reworking of our heart. It's got to be way bigger than just us. Yeah. Way bigger. Look at this ministry. There's no way possible I could have ever done this on my own. God divinely brought people, family members, non-family members, all of us around us. He's just, just surrounding each other in this team. And, and right now, I think we have probably one of the best teams we've ever had. You know, I mean, I'll honor the, the, the people that have served here in the past. Yeah. Don't take anything away from them. But we have the team we need right now for such a time as this. And we're sharing this. We're all getting to impact generations for the future. Yeah. And you're not just referring to just people on staff. No, but it, not it at goes, all. It, it goes not to everybody's watched. If you're here, if you're part of this ministry, Absolutely. especially if you serve and if you give, if you're in some way contributing. Yeah. If you're part of the team. Yeah. yeah. You're partnering together with family. Hey, you know, we say partnering people take finances. I'm not talking about finances. I'm talking about partner your heart. Yeah. Bring your heart. May, connect your heart to something that's bigger than you and something that's going to affect generations in the future.
Yeah. That is the thing that God's looking for, yeah. that legacy. Yeah. So, man, this has been good. Amen. Yeah. Wow. I don't. <laughs> yeah, where do you go from here? I don't even know where to go from here. I'll I don't even a, know how long the series is going to be because I, I want to say. There's a whole like lot of stuff I here. I think I said this is a two-part series. We'll see what happens. Yeah, we, we, we didn't even <laughs> cover some of the stuff we wanted to cover today. So we'll talk about that next in that part two. Yeah. So I'm going to pray for everybody. Yeah, amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, God, for those that may have, may find themselves right now in a comfort zone. Father, I pray for divine dissatisfaction in the name of Jesus to rise up. Lord God, we know you don't use the enemy, Father. We're not talking about the enemy. But Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would make uncomfortable those who are comfortable right now. But you are the Father of spirits, Father, and that you deal with us in our spirit, Lord God that a divine dissatisfaction would rise up on the inside of every person that has become complacent, especially those, Father, that have been walking with you for decades and they've settled into this, yeah, you know, I know God and, you know, he doesn't bother me and I don't bother him. Father, I pray that you shake up your church, Father. And Lord, for those who have forsaken the dreams that you had deposited them because it got too hard, Lord, I pray for divine resurrection in the name of Jesus. That every single person, Father, they'll start remembering the dream. They'll start desiring the fulfillment of the dream. That there would be a hunger and a thirst that rises up that would cause them to pay the price to meet the standards, to lay down what needs to be laid down, to take up what needs to be taken up, Father, so that that plan, that dream that you put in their hearts would come to pass. And Father... Thank you for giving us the honor and the privilege of affecting generations in the future. Lord, we trust you to work these things out in every individual's life. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Uh, I, I, you know something? I really believe that many people who are watching and listening, they're going to consider, consider they're, gonna, they're going to consider the last hour of their life a threshold moment. I believe that. I believe that. I believe that. I, I believe we tapped into some prophetic, really Holy Ghost things here today. Amen. Amen. So yeah, thank you so much for watching and listening. Uh, we pray that this blessed you. We pray that, that the Holy Spirit really spoke to you through um, our conversation, through the reading of the word. And um, yeah, we'll see you next time. Yeah. Good day.